0: Section two of Red Men and White. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Wales. Red Men and White by Owen Wister. Section two. Little Big Horn Medicine, Part Two. Cheshapa told his victory to the council. With many sentences about himself, and how his medicine had fended all hurt from the crows, the elder chiefs sat cold. "'Hm!' Mm, said one at the close of the oration, and—'He!' remarked another. The sounds were of assent without surprise. "'It is good!' said Pretty Eagle. His voice seemed to enrage Cheschapah. "'It is always pretty good,' remarked Spotted Horse. "'I have done this, too,' said Pounded Meat to his son, simply. "'Once, twice, three times. The crows have always been better warriors than the Pyghans.' "'Have you made water boil like me?' Cheschapah said. "'I am not a medicine man,' replied his father. "'But I have taken horses and squaws from the Pyghans. "'You make good medicine, maybe.' BUT A CUP OF WATER WILL NOT KILL MANY WHITE MEN. CAN YOU MAKE THE RIVER BOIL? LET chesapeake MAKE BIGGER MEDICINE, SO THE WHITE MAN SHALL FEAR HIM AS WELL AS THE pygons, WHOSE HEARTS ARE WELL KNOWN TO US. chesapeake SCOWLED. POUNDED MEAT SHALL HAVE THIS, SAID HE. I WILL MAKE MEDICINE TOMORROW, OLD FOOL. DRIVE HIM FROM THE COUNCIL, SAID PRETTY EAGLE let him stay said pounded meat his bad talk was not to the council but to me and i do not count it but the medicine man left the presence of the chiefs and came to the cabin of kinney hello said the white man sit down you got that said the indian standing more water medicine i guess so take a seat no not boil any more you got that other that other eh? Huh? well now you're not going to blind them yet what's your hurry yes make blind tomorrow me great chief a slight uneasiness passed across the bantering face of kinney his seltzer salts performed what he promised but he had mentioned another miracle and he did not want his dupe to find him out until a war was thoroughly set going He looked at the young Indian, noticing his eyes. "'What's the matter with you, anyway, Cheshapa?' "'Me great chief!' the raised voice trembled with unearthly conviction. "'Well, I guess you are. I guess you've got pretty far along,' said the frontier cynic. He tilted his chair back and smiled at the child whose primitive brain he had tampered with so easily the child stood looking at him with intent black eyes. Better wait, Cheschapah. Come again. Medicine heap better after a while. The Indian's quick ear caught the insincerity without understanding it. You give me that quick, he said, suddenly terrible. Oh, all right, Cheschapah. You know more medicine than me. Yes, I know more. The white man brought a pot of scarlet paint, and the Indian's staring eyes contracted. Kinney took the battered cavalry sabre in his hand, and set its point in the earth floor of the cabin. Stand back, he said, in mysterious tones, and Cheschapah shrank from the impending sorcery. Now Kinney had been to school once, in his eastern childhood, and there had committed to memory portions of Shakespeare, Mrs. Hemans, and other poets out of a reader. He had never forgotten a single word of any of them, and it now occurred to him that for the purposes of an incantation it would be both entertaining for himself and impressive to Cheshapar if he should recite the Battle of Hohenlinden. He was drawing squares and circles with the point of the sabre. NO, HE SAID TO HIMSELF, THAT PIECE WON'T DO. HE KNOWS TOO MUCH ENGLISH. SOME OF THEM WORDS MIGHT STRIKE HIM AS BEING TOO USUAL, AND HE'D START TO KILL ME AND SPOIL THE WHOLE THING. MUNICH AND CHIVALRY ARE snortin', BUT SUN WAS LOW AIN'T WORTH A DAMN, I GUESS. HE STOPPED GUESSING, FOR THE NOON RECESS AT SCHOOL CAME IN HIS MIND LIKE A PICTURE, AND WITH IT CERTAIN OLD-TIME PRELIMINARIES TO THE GAME OF TAG. Eeny, meeny, money my, said Kinney, tapping himself, the sabre, the paint-pot, and Cheshapa in turn, one for each word. The incantation was begun. He held the sabre solemnly upright, while Cheshapa tried to control his excited breathing, where he stood flattened against the wall. butter leather bony dry. Hairbit frost-neck, harrico-barrico, wee, why, whoa, whack! You're it, Chessipaw!" After that the weapon was given its fresh coat of paint, and Chessipaw went away with his new miracle in the dark. "'He is it,' mused Kenny, grave but inwardly lively. He was one of those sincere artists who need no popular commendation and whoever he does catch it won't be me he concluded he felt pretty sure there would be war now Dawn showed the summoned troops near the agency at the corral standing to horse cheschapah gathered his hostiles along the brow of the ridge in the rear of the agency buildings and the two forces watched each other across the intervening four hundred yards there they are said the agent jumping about shoot them colonel shoot them you can't do that you know said the officer without an order from the president or an overt act from the indians so nothing happened and Cheschapah told his friends the white men were already afraid of him he saw more troops arrive water their horses in the river form line outside the corral and dismount he made ready at this movement, and all Indian onlookers scattered from the expected fight. Yet the white man stayed quiet. It was issue day, but no families remained after drawing their rations. They had had no dance the night before, as was usual, and they did not linger a moment now, but came and departed with their beef and flour at once. "'I have done all this,' said Cheshapah to two whistles. "'Cheschapah is a great man,' assented the friend and follower. He had gone at once to his hayfield on his return from the Pygans, but some one had broken the little Indian's fence, and cattle were wandering in what remained of his crop. "'Our nation knows I will make war, and therefore they do not stay here,' said the medicine man, caring nothing what two whistles might have suffered." and now they will see that the white soldiers dare not fight with Cheshepa. The sun is high now, but they have not moved, because I have stopped them. Do you not see? It is my medicine. We see it. It was the voice of the people. But a chief spoke. Maybe they wait for us to come. Cheschapah answered, Their eyes shall be made sick. I will ride among them, but they will not know it he galloped away alone and lifted his red sword as he sped along the ridge of the hills showing against the sky below at the corral the white soldiers waited ready and heard him chanting his war song through the silence of the day he turned in a long curve and came in near the watching troops and through the agency and then made bolder by their motionless figures and guns held idle he turned again and flew, singing, along close to the line, so they saw his eyes, and a few that had been talking low as they stood side by side fell silent at the spectacle. They could not shoot until some Indians should shoot. They watched him and the gray pony pass and return to the hostels on the hill. Then they saw the hostels melt away like magic their prophet had told them to go to their tepees and wait for the great rain he would now bring it was noon and the sky utterly blue over the bright valley the sun rode a space nearer the west and the thick black clouds assembled in the mountains and descended their shadow flooded the valley with a lake of slatish blue and presently the sudden torrents sluiced down with flashes and the ample thunder of Montana. Thus not alone the law against our soldiers firing the first shot in an Indian excitement, but now also the elements coincided to help the medicine man's destiny. Cheschapah sat in a teepee with his father, and as the rain splashed heavily on the earth, the old man gazed at the young one. "'Why do you tremble, my son? You have made the white soldier's heart soft,' said Pounded Meat. "'You are indeed a great man, my son.' Cheshapah rose. "'Do not call me your son,' said he. "'That is a lie.' He went out into the fury of the rain, lifting his face against the drops, and exultingly calling out at each glare of the lightning. He went to Pretty Eagle's young squaw, who held off from him no longer, but got on a horse, and the two rode into the mountains. Before the sun had set, the sky was again utterly blue, and a cool scent rose everywhere in the shining valley. The crows came out of their tepees, and there were the white soldiers obeying orders and going away they watched the column slowly move across the flat land below the bluffs where the road led down the river twelve miles to the post they are afraid said new converts cheschapah's rain has made their hearts soft they have not all gone said pretty eagle maybe he did not make enough rain but even pretty eagle began to be shaken and he heard several of his brother chiefs during the next few days openly declare for the medicine-man. Cheschapah with his woman, came from the mountains, and Pretty Eagle did not dare to harm him. Then another coincidence followed that was certainly most reassuring to the war-party. Some of them had no meat, and told Cheschapah they were hungry. With consummate audacity he informed them he would give them plenty at once. On the same day another timely electric storm occurred up the river, and six steers were struck by lightning. When the officers at Fort Custer heard of this, they became serious. If this was not the nineteenth century, said Haines, I would begin to think the elements were deliberately against us. It's very careless of the weather, said Sterling, very inconsiderate at such a juncture yet nothing more dangerous than red tape happened for a while. There was an expensive quantity of investigation from Washington, and this gave the hostels time to increase both in faith and numbers. Among the excited crows only a few wise old men held out. As for Cheschapah himself, ambition and success had brought him to the weird enthusiasm of a fanatic. He was still a charlatan, but a charlatan who believed utterly in his star. He moved among his people with growing mystery, and his hapless adjutant, Two Whistles, rode with him, slaved for him, abandoned the plans he had for making himself a farm, and, desiring peace in his heart, weakly cast his lot with war. Then one day there came an order from the agent to all the Indians. They were to come in by a certain fixed day. The department commander had assembled six hundred troops at the post, and these moved up the river and went into camp. The usually empty ridges and the bottom where the road ran, filled with white and red men. Half a mile to the north of the buildings, on the first rise from the river, lay the cavalry and some infantry above them with a howitzer while across the level, three hundred yards opposite, along the river bank, was the main Indian camp. Even the hostels had obeyed the agent's order and came in close to the troops, totally unlike hostels in general, for Cheschapah had told them he would protect them with his medicine, and they shouted and sang all through this last night. The women joined with harsh cries and shriekings, and a scalp-dance went on, besides lesser commotions and gatherings, with the throbbing of drums everywhere. Through the sleepless den ran the barking of a hundred dogs, that herded and hurried in crowds of twenty at a time, meeting, crossing from fire to fire among the tepees. Their yelps rose to the high bench of land, summoning a horde of coyotes. These cringing nomads gathered from the desert in a tramp army, and, skulking down the bluffs, sat in their outer darkness, and ceaselessly howled their long, shrill greetings to the dogs that sat in the circle of light. The general sent scouts to find the nature of the dance and hubbub, and these brought word it was peaceful and in the morning another scout summoned the elder chiefs to a talk with the friend who had come from the great father in washington to see them and find if their hearts were good our hearts are good said pretty eagle we do not want war if you want cheschapah we will drive him out from the crows to you there are other young chiefs with bad hearts said the commissioner naming the ringleaders that were known He made a speech, but Pretty Eagle grew sullen. "'It is well,' said the commissioner. "'You will not help me to make things smooth, and now I step aside and the war-chief will talk.' "'If you want any other chiefs,' said Pretty Eagle, "'come and take them.' "'Pretty Eagle shall have an hour and a half to think on my words,' said the general. "'I have plenty of men behind me to make my words good.' You must send me all those Indians who fired at the agency." The Crow chiefs returned to the council, which was apart from the War Party's camp, and Cheschapah walked in among them, and after him slowly, old pounded meat, to learn how the conference had gone. "'You have made a long talk with the white man,' said Cheschapah. Talk is pretty good for old men. I and the young chiefs will fight now and kill our enemies." Cheschapah said Pounded Meat, "'if your medicine is good, it may be the young chiefs will kill our enemies today. But there are other days to come, and after them still others. There are many, many days. My son, the years are a long road. The life of one man is not long, but enough to learn this thing truly the white man will always return there was a day on this river when the dead soldiers of yellow hair lay in the hills and the squaws of the sioux warriors climbed among them with their knives what do the sioux warriors do now when they meet the white man on this river their hearts are on the ground and they go home like children when the white man says you shall not visit your friends my son i thought war was good once I have kept you from the arrows of our enemies on many trails when you were so little that my blankets were enough for both. Your mother was not here any more, and the chiefs laughed because I carried you. Oh, my son, I have seen the hearts of the Sioux broken by the white man, and I do not think war is good." "'The talk of pounded meat is very good,' said Pretty Eagle. If Cheschapah were wise like his father, this trouble would not have come to the crows. But we could not give the white chief so many of our chiefs that he asked for to-day. Cheshupaw laughed. Did he ask for so many? He wanted only Cheschapah, who is not wise like pounded meat. You would have been given to him, said Pretty Eagle. Did Pretty Eagle tell the white chief that? DID HE SAY HE WOULD GIVE CHESHIPA? HOW WOULD HE GIVE ME? IN ONE HAND, OR TWO? OR WOULD THE OLD WARRIOR TAKE ME TO THE WHITE MAN'S CAMP ON THE HORSE HIS YOUNG SQUAW LEFT? PRETTY EAGLE RAISED HIS RIFLE, AND, POUNDED MEAT, QUICK AS A BOY, SEIZED THE BARREL AND POINTED IT UP AMONG THE POLES OF THE tepee, WHERE THE QUIET BLACK FIRE SMOKE WAS OOZING OUT INTO THE AIR have you lived so long said pounded meat to his ancient comrade and do this in the council his wrinkled head and hands shook the sudden strength left him and the rifle fell free let pretty eagle shoot said cheschapah looking at the council he stood calm and the seated chiefs turned their grim eyes upon him Certainty was in his face, and doubt in theirs. Let him send his bullet five times, ten times. Then I will go and let the white soldiers shoot at me until they all lie dead." "'It is heavy for me,' began Pounded Meat, that my friend should be the enemy of my son. "'Tell that lie no more,' said Cheschapah. "'You are not my father.' I HAVE MADE THE WHITE MAN BLIND, AND I HAVE SOFTENED HIS HEART WITH THE RAIN. I WILL CALL THE RAIN TODAY." HE RAISED HIS RED SWORD, AND THERE WAS A MOVEMENT AMONG THE SITTING FIGURES. THE CLOUDS WILL COME FROM MY FATHER'S PLACE, WHERE I HAVE TALKED WITH HIM AS ONE CHIEF TO ANOTHER. MY MOTHER WENT INTO THE MOUNTAINS TO GATHER BERRIES. SHE WAS YOUNG, AND THE THUNDER-MAKER SAW HER FACE. HE BROUGHT THE BLACK CLOUDS, SO HER FEET TURNED FROM HOME, AND SHE WALKED WHERE THE RIVER GOES INTO THE GREAT WALLS OF THE MOUNTAIN, AND THAT DAY SHE WAS STRICKEN FRUITFUL BY THE LIGHTNING. YOU ARE NOT THE FATHER OF Cheschapah. HE DEALT POUNDED MEAT A BLOW, AND THE OLD MAN FELL. BUT THE COUNCIL SAT STILL UNTIL THE SOUND OF Cheschapah's GALLOPING HORSE DIED AWAY. They were ready now to risk everything. Their skepticism was conquered. The medicine-man galloped to his camp of hostels, and seeing him, they yelled and quickly finished plaiting their horses' tails. Cheschapah had accomplished his wish. He had become the prophet of all the crows, and he led the armies of the faithful. Each man stripped his blanket off and painted his body for the fight. The forms slipped in and out of the brush, buckling their cartridge belts, bringing their ponies, while many families struck their teepees and moved up nearer the agency. The spare horses were run across the river into the hills, and through the yelling that shifted and swept like flames along the wind, the hostels made ready and gathered. Their crowds, quivering with motion and changing place and shape, as more mounted Indians appeared. "'Are the holes dug deep as I marked them on the earth?' said Cheschapah to two whistles. "'That is good. We shall soon have to go into them from the great rain I will bring. Make these strong, to stay as we ride. They are good medicine, and with them the white soldiers will not see you any more than they saw me when I rode among them that day.' He had strips and capes of red flannel, and he and Two-Whistles fastened them to their painted bodies. "'You will let me go with you?' said Two-Whistles. "'You are my best friend,' said Cheshapah, "'and to-day I will take you. You shall see my great medicine when I make the white man's eyes grow sick.' The two rode forward, and one hundred and fifty followed them bursting from their tepees like an explosion and rushing along quickly in skirmish line two whistles rode beside his speeding prophet and saw the red sword waving near his face and the sun in the great still sky and the swimming fleeting earth his superstition and the fierce ride put him in a sort of trance The medicine is beginning!" shouted Cheschapah, and at that two whistles saw the day grow large with terrible shining, and heard his own voice calling, and could not stop it. They left the hundred and fifty behind. He knew not where or when. He saw the line of troops ahead change to separate waiting shapes of men, and their legs and arms become plain. Then all the guns took clear form in lines of steady glitter. He seemed suddenly alone, far ahead of the band, but the voice of Cheschapah spoke close by his ear through the singing wind, and he repeated each word without understanding. He was watching the ground rush by, lest it might rise against his face, and all the while he felt his horse's motion under him, smooth and perpetual. Something weighed against his leg, and there was Cheschapah. he had forgotten, always there at his side, veering him round somewhere. But there was no red sword waving. Then the white men must be blind already, wherever they were, and Cheschapah, the only thing he could see, sat leaning one hand on his horse's rump, firing a pistol. The ground came swimming towards his eyes always smooth and wide like a gray flood, but two whistles knew that Cheschapah would not let it sweep him away. He saw a horse without a rider floated out of blue smoke, and floated in again with a cracking noise. White soldiers moved in a row across his eyes, very small and clear, and broke into a blurred eddy of shapes which the flood swept away, clean and empty. Then a dead white man came by on the quick flood. Two Whistles saw the yellow stripe on his sleeve, but he was gone, and there was nothing but sky and blaze with Cheschapah's headdress in the middle. The horse's even motion continued beneath him, when suddenly the headdress fell out of Two Whistles' sight, and the earth returned. They were in brush, with his horse standing and breathing and a dead horse on the ground with Cheschapah, and smoke and moving people everywhere outside. He saw Cheschapah run from the dead horse and jump on a gray pony and go. Somehow he was on the ground, too, looking at a red sword lying beside his face. He stared at it a long while, then took it in his hand, still staring. All at once he rose and broke it savagely and fell again. His faith was shivered to pieces like glass. But he got on his horse, and the horse moved away. He was looking at the blood running on his body. The horse moved always, and two whistles followed with his eye a little deeper gush of blood along a crease in his painted skin, noticed the flannel and, remembering the lie of his prophet, instantly began tearing the red rags from his body, and flinging them to the ground with cries of scorn. Presently he heard some voices, and soon one voice much nearer, and saw he had come to a new place where there were white soldiers looking at him quietly. One was riding up and telling him to give up his pistol. Two whistles got off and stood behind his horse, looking at the pistol. The white soldier came quite near, and at his voice two whistles moved slowly out from behind the horse and listened to the cool words as the soldier repeated his command. The Indian was pointing his pistol uncertainly, and he looked at the soldier's coat and buttons and the straps on the shoulders and the bright steel sabre and the white man's blue eyes. Then two whistles looked at his own naked, clotted body, and, turning the pistol against himself, fired it into his breast. Far away up the river, on the right of the line, a lieutenant with two men was wading across after some hostiles that had been skirmishing with his troops. The hostiles had fallen back after some hot shooting, and had dispersed among the brush and tepees on the farther shore picking up their dead, as Indians do. It was interesting work, this splashing breast-high through a river into a concealed hornet's nest, and the lieutenant thought a little on his unfinished plans and duties in life. He noted one dead Indian left on the shore, and went steadfastly in among the half-seen teepees, rummaging and beating in the thick brush to be sure no hornets remained. Finding them gone and their dead spirited away, he came back on the bank to the one dead Indian who had a fine head-dress, and was still rivened with gay red streamers of flannel, and was worth all the rest of the dead put together, and much more. The head lay in the water, and one hand held the rope of the gray pony, who stood quiet and uninterested over his fallen rider. They began carrying the prize across to the other bank, where many had now collected, among others Kinney and the lieutenant's captain, who subsequently said, i found the body of Chesapeake," and, indeed, it was a very good thing to be able to say." "'This busts the war,' said Kinney to the captain, as the body was being lifted over the little horn. "'They know he's killed, and they've all quit. I was up by the tepees near the agency just now, and I could see the hostiles jamming back home for dear life. They was chucking their rifles to the squaws and jumping in the river ha <laughs> ha, to wash off their war-paint, and, and each blank-blank would crawl out and sit innocent in the family blanket his squaw had ready. If you was to go there now, cap'n, You'd find just a lot of harmless injuns eatin' supper like all the year round. Let me help you boys with that carcass. Kinney gave a hand to the lieutenant and men of G Troop, First United States Cavalry, and they lifted Cheschapah up the bank. In the tilted position of the body, the cartridge belt slid a little, and a lump of newspaper fell into the stream. Kenny watched it open and float away with a momentary effervescence. The dead medicine man was laid between the white and red camps, that all might see he could be killed like other people. And this wholesome discovery brought the crows to terms at once. Pretty Eagle had displayed a flag of truce, and now he surrendered the guilty chiefs whose hearts had been bad. Every one came where the dead prophet lay to get a look at him. For a space of hours Pretty Eagle and the many other crows he had deceived rode by in single file, striking him with their whips. After them came a young squaw, and she also lashed the upturned face. This night was untroubled at the agency, and both camps and the valley lay quiet in the peaceful dark. Only pounded meat, alone on the top of a hill, mourned for his son, and his wailing voice sounded through the silence until the new day came. Then the general had him stopped and brought in, for it might be that the old man's noise would unsettle the crows again. End of section two.